I'll turn again to, to Luke chapter 3. Uh, so I'm not sure if everyone here tonight was here this morning, but this morning uh, we, we looked at Luke chapter 3 in the first 20 verses, and I gave the heading, What Matters Most? So very imaginatively this evening, I've given the heading, More Things That Matter Most. Uh, so the point this morning was this, here in Luke chapter 3, in the ministry of John the Baptist, this is the passage uh, I looked at with, with my congregation um, last, last Sunday. It was the first Sunday of the new year, and uh, I wanted to preach it in this way because of the occasion, the first Sunday of a new year, what should we consider? Let's consider things that matter most. So I'm not saying these are the things, this is a definitive list of things that matter most. But here in this passage are some important things, and here are some things that we can be reminded of. So again, this is in no particular order. Uh, rather, it's, it's simply the order in which I uh, came across them in the passage. So this morning we considered the priority of the Word of God. Uh, so we considered the end of verse 2. So here are all these important people in the ancient world, but then there comes John the Baptist, an obscure man preaching in the wilderness, but the significance is this, the word of God came to John. The priority of the word of God. Uh, there's not many of us here tonight, but there's significance in us being here tonight because we have the word of God. The God who made all things speaks through his word. Uh, and so be encouraged. Uh, there is more significance in any place where the word is opened than in any place where the word is shut. And then also this morning we considered the necessity of repentance. Wherever there is saving faith, there is repentance. Uh, so I'm hoping that the Christmas lights were packed away safely this morning and they're not all tangled up, but here are two things that can't be untangled. You cannot untangle faith from repentance. Where there is true saving faith, there will be repentance, and a repentance that can be seen. So this evening I have four things. Uh, so we're going to be twice as long as we were this morning. We're not really... Uh, but four things, okay? So number three, if we're continuing from this morning. Uh, John the Baptist preached, I'll put it like this, he preached the whole counsel of God. Uh, he didn't hold back. I think that's really what I'm trying to say. He didn't hold back. He had a message to proclaim, and he wasn't fearful of that message. He gave that message. And uh, uh, Consider the way in which he, he did it. We, we considered this morning he preached a message of repentance, but notice then this evening how he did it. Uh, so some came out to him and he said to them, look at verse 7, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, as we read the same account in Matthew's Gospel, we understand that John was speaking to particular people. That wasn't his message to all the people who came out. It was, in particular, his message to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came out to be baptized. He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I read to you this morning a little quote from one particular commentator who described the wilderness in which John was preaching. And this is what I read to you. Um, he described this place as a vast, undulating expanse of barren, chalky soil covered with pebbles, broken stones, and rocks. And then he also wrote this, here and there a bit of brushwood appears with snakes 
crawling underneath. And now the brushwood that could be seen in this wilderness, it might appear to be snakes, okay? Little bits um, of dead branches scattered here and there. Uh, And so you might not distinguish between the two. Uh, You might think something is a, a dead branch, but actually it appears to be a harmful snake. And uh, perhaps that was in John's mind as he said these words, you brood of vipers. Who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? They were people who gave the impression that true religion was one thing, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't what they were making it out to be. Their message was deceptive. And because their religion wasn't true religion, thing in all the world, If there is such thing as a wrath to come, if there is such a thing as the wrath of God, isn't it the kindest thing in all the world to warn people of it? And so you might view John as as confrontational. You might think his message is rude. You might think it's severe. But actually, it's merciful. It's gracious. Why? Well, because there is such a thing as the wrath of God. And if there is such a thing as the wrath of God, if it is true that one day I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for deeds done in the body, then it's the most gracious and merciful thing to be warned about that judgment. When I was preparing this, it was just before Christmas. And uh, I mentioned this morning, we had the school coming in and out of the building to rehearse. And so I based myself in our chapel building for that week. And uh, at the same time as children coming in and out, we also have a builder uh, rebuilding a stone wall outside. And the weather, has be- it was just like this. So we can hear the rain on the roof tonight. And uh, so there was this builder building, putting stone upon stone in the rain. And then all the lights went out because what had happened? Well, water had got into his uh, cement mixer and uh, it tripped the lights and so on. And um, he couldn't work. Uh, he couldn't work in, 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 in that condition with the lights out. Um, but before that, before that rain, it had also been very cold. Uh, do you remember the cold snap of weather we had? Uh, we had a few days, a week or so, of very cold weather. And there was an awful story on the news about children somewhere in the Midlands who'd been playing on the ice. And uh, so I was thinking about that and thinking about these children coming in from the local primary school. And I remember when I was in school, um, we used to have these, these little films we'd watch. So we didn't have a big screen. They'd drag in a, a TV on a trolley. And you'd watch these little films, government films, Don't Fly Your Kite Near Pylons, and, uh, and things like that. But I listened to a podcast, and there was a man talking who had grown up in the same area where this awful accident had happened. These children had fallen through the ice. And he was talking about, when he was growing up, he remembered one of those videos about being careful when it comes to playing on the ice. It's a gracious thing, isn't it, to be warned about danger. And he was asking the question, are we still warning children? Uh, a, 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 A danger still being highlighted in schools and so on. That was his question. It's a gracious and merciful thing to be warned about danger. And so there is danger ahead. There is danger for people um, who, are, um, who are facing an eternity where at death they will, they will come before God in judgment. Um, here is something that matters most. It matters that if we possess the truth, 
we speak the truth and uh, we preach the whole counsel of God uh, where Paul begins his epistle to the Romans here is God's good news here is the gospel of God but where does he begin he begins in in Romans 1 with the reality of the judgment of God there is such a thing as the wrath of God it's seen God gave them over God gave them over God gave them over he begins with God's judgment in Romans chapter 1 and we preach in and we speak in the whole counsel of God now don't misunderstand me I'm not saying that uh, we can't be winsome I'm not saying we shouldn't be polite. I'm not saying we shouldn't be friendly with unbelievers. Uh, but we also must speak the truth. And it is right and gracious uh, to do so. Um, let me do it now. Um, there's warnings in this passage, aren't there? Um, so later on in this chapter, John goes on to speak of Christ. And he, he, he says that Christ is coming. Look at verse 17. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is John's message. He says, Christ is coming. When Christ comes, what will he do? He will separate. He will cause a great separation, just like wheat is separated from chaff. So the farmer wants the wheat, but he doesn't want the chaff, and so he separates the two. There will be one day a great separation. Uh, the chaff, those who are not his people, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Uh, isn't this something that matters most? It matters most that we speak the truth, it matters most as well that we're ready for that judgment. Uh, we had a chap um, about four years ago, or four and a half years ago maybe, who came to our chapel in Dowlice, and uh, he turned up, and he'd been before, way before my time, maybe 25 years before. He wasn't a believer, but he'd married someone who grew up in our chapel. And so he was someone who turned up at Christmas. He turned up at Christmas because he was spending the day with his in-laws and uh, that's what he had to do to get his Christmas dinner. And uh, he'd, he'd heard the gospel preached on those occasions. He hadn't been interested, uh, but uh, something had stuck in his mind. Uh, he came to us having moved away from Merthyr to Scotland. One of his children had gone to live in Scotland with their family and so they'd moved from South Wales to Scotland to live there and about... Uh, within a month of, of, of going there, he had a diagnosis of a brain tumour. And uh, it was inoperable. And they told him he had 12 to 18 months to live. And so what did he do? Well, here's, here's someone who doesn't think Dowlice Top is a wasteland. He came back to die in Merthyr. He wanted to come home to die. And so he turned up in our chapel. And this was the bit he could remember. He said, someone preached. It was probably Silwyn Jones. Someone preached, and I can remember they said this. It was in the hymn we just sang, actually. Um, that God's people will one day be on his right hand. That's all he could remember from the sermon. He couldn't remember anything else. But he also knew as part of that sermon, there were those who wouldn't be on the right hand of God. There would be those who, who would come into judgment. And he told me that when he was in Scotland and he went for a walk, having received his diagnosis, he was convinced of one thing, that he would not be on God's right hand. Well, there was a seed planted maybe 25, 30 years before. And uh, he was a man who came back and wanted to know what he could do to be saved from the wrath of God, 
from a judgment that he was convinced he would face because he was a sinner. Are you preaching? Are you speaking in your own gossiping of the gospel? Uh, do you tell others of, of a judgment to come? How, how might you do that? You can appeal to people's sense of justice, can't you? Uh, we have a sense of justice. Uh, I was a teacher for about uh, 15 years in secondary schools, and I can remember the outrage children would feel if they felt someone had got away with something, if someone had not been punished for something they considered to be wrong. Appeal to a sense of justice within us because we are made in the image of God. There is a way to be saved. There is a way to be saved from the wrath to come. Which leads us on to a second thing, or a fourth thing, if we continue from this morning. Fourthly, our priority is to, to hold out Christ to people. So we preach the whole counsel of God. That means we don't just tell people about the wrath to come. We tell people how they might be saved. We point people to Christ. We tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be Christ-centered. Uh, so look at verse 15. We read this. The people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. Okay, so John was not the Christ. He was the one who was spoken of by, by Malachi the prophet 400 years before, uh, that uh, he would prepare the way for the Lord. He was also prophesied by um, Isaiah 700 years before. We have um, some verses from Isaiah there in verses 4, uh, 5, and 6. Uh, but John, John was not the Christ. Uh, he was uh, preparing the way. Uh, when Christ came, however... Um, verse 16, John was very clear. John answered them all saying, I, I uh, baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Uh, so John had a high estimation of Christ. I am not Christ. The message is not about me. When he comes, what else did John say elsewhere in the Gospels? He said, he must increase I must decrease. It's about him. I've come to tell you about Christ. When Christ came for baptism, what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, there's something else that matters most. It matters that we speak the whole counsel of God, but it matters most as well uh, that included in that, we point people to Christ. Uh, listen to these words from, from one writer. He says this, uh, Would we know whether a minister is sound in the faith and deserving of our confidence as a teacher. We have only to ask a simple question. Where is Christ in his teaching? Uh, are people um, leaving a service speaking about Christ? Uh, I was greatly encouraged this evening to come back and uh, to, to feel that my message this morning had an impact uh, because sometimes uh, people who preach can get very depressed and uh, they might think, is anything I'm saying making any difference at all? But I came in this evening and saw a giant paper airplane on the back row. And so it made me feel, it was encouraged, at least I had an impact on one thing. And some children uh, made a paper airplane. Uh, but a preacher's desire is really, isn't it, uh, that people leave talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your conversation with each other about Christ? Um, when you have a cup of tea after the service... Do you talk about what was preached? 
And as you talk about what was preached, your mind considers the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I listened to that podcast I mentioned uh, where there were people discussing the death of those boys on a frozen lake. And uh, one of the boys who died, he died because he was trying to save his friends, if you followed that story at all. So there, there was one boy, I don't think he'd been on the ice, but he saw his friends on trouble, uh, in trouble, and so then he went onto the ice in order to save his friends. Now that's very commendable, isn't it? He saw his friends in trouble and he went, he went to help them. The loveliness of Christ, however, however lovely that is, the loveliness of Christ is more. Because Christ died for people who were his enemies. God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ died on the cross, what did he say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And uh, we might follow that into, into Acts and consider some of Peter's preaching. You crucified him. And then there are those who cry out, what must we do to be saved? Um, do, we, do we hold out the loveliness of Christ to people? Here is a saviour who loves you. Not because you are lovely, not because you've earned it, not because you are worthy of it, not because you deserve it. He loves you because you are a sinner. You are unlovely. And yet here is the loveliness of Christ. He came to die for a sinner like you. Uh, when those boys found themselves in danger, here's the last bit of this, all that I know about uh, this incident on the ice, there was a policeman who also went to assist. And apparently the policeman, the first policeman to arrive on the scene, it was his first shift alone. He was a rookie policeman. So he'd gone through his training. Uh, presumably he'd been out on the beat before. But this was the first time, as a fully qualified policeman, he'd attended a scene alone. Uh, what, a, what a situation to deal with on your first shift. My point is this, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or for 50 years. Whoever you are, your duty is to hold out Christ to men and women. You might think, I'm not qualified. Uh, I need someone else to stand with me. I need someone else to help me. Uh, this, is, this is such a a difficult thing to do. People have so many questions and I'm not sure I know all the answers to these difficult questions. It doesn't matter. Uh, God gives you enabling. Uh, sometimes there are questions you cannot answer, but it doesn't matter. You hold out the loveliness of Christ. What I know is I am a sinner and he is a great saviour and I know him as the one who saves me. Which might lead us on to this, okay? So the difficulty the greatness of the challenge. Uh, sometimes I think, I've told you sometimes preachers feel depressed. Uh, sometimes I, I think about the work of the gospel and I find it overwhelming. Um, so I'm busy. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to encourage the congregation to speak to people and to witness to people. And, and the task seems so difficult and so hard. What encouragement is there here for us? Here is something else that matters most. We are to seek the help of the Holy Spirit. So John said, verse 16, I baptize with water. Uh, but the end of verse 16, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has equipped his church 
for their work and their witness by leaving them the Holy Spirit. He has given the Holy Spirit to equip his people for the work he has given them to do. And if that is the case, if we believe that, if we believe that the Holy Spirit has been given to the church to help us in our work and witness, then shouldn't that drive us to our knees, uh, that we might know more of him, uh, that we might, we might be people who, what does Paul say, who keep in step with the Holy Spirit, that we might be people who do not quench the Holy Spirit. It's not my intention this evening to open up those various passages, but simply to highlight what matters most. What matters most is that we seek God's enabling. Uh, we seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, listen to these verses. Let me remind you of these verses from Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verses 11 to 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I have four children, and they all asked for something for Christmas. And sometimes I'm not the best of fathers, but even I could give them gifts, and appropriate gifts, and I could think of them, and the things they want, and the things they need. If I can do that, Jesus is saying, will not he, will not the Father who is perfect give to his children what they ask? Will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Are we people on our knees? Uh, the work is hard. Um, what should the, the reality of the work being hard do? Should it not drive us to our knees? Uh, we do live in difficult days. And by that, um, I mean this, I, I, I worry about people. So there are people in our congregation who are young, and uh, we have, um, not many, but we have some in their 20s, and uh, they're single, and uh, I think about them, and I worry about them, and uh, there, are, there are people younger than that, there are teenagers, teenage boys, and then uh, you talk to them sometimes, and, uh, and you think, is, is that what you really think? And I'm shocked about something? And you see the, the influence of, of the internet and things they come across upon their minds. I worry about them. Um, it's hard, isn't it? Uh, here are things that matter most. If we're to be kept as Christians in a world where those around us, there's a book I read uh, last year, it had a big effect on me. It was called Being the Bad Guys. Okay, that's what it is to be a Christian today. Lots of people will think we are the bad guys because of our views on particular ethical issues. It's hard to be a Christian in an environment like that because none of us want to be thought of as the bad guys. What will keep us? What will help us? These things that matter most, the priority of the Word of God. And here, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, not just in our life, in our witness, but being faithful to Christ. I can't do it. I'm wholly dependent upon the Lord. If I'm to get up tomorrow and face the pressures of a world who think I'm one of the bad guys, I need the Holy Spirit's enabling uh, to make me bold in my witness and bold in faithfulness to Christ. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that builder. 
I mentioned him because I was completely lost in my train of thought and uh, I thought I've, I've, I've gone on too far ahead. Um, but this builder whose cement mixer um, had water in it, he could have carried on because uh, I did a patio once and uh, I mixed it all by hand in a wheelbarrow. Okay? But, but he's a builder and uh, he needs to get this job done so we can move on to the next job. His, his work will be very slow without that cement mixer turning. Uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit, our work won't just be slow. Uh, the work will be in vain. And we need his enabling. We need his um, enabling to bring life where there is, is death. Well, lastly, sixthly, here is something else that matters most. It matters that we understand the true cost of discipleship. So I've said these things aren't in any particular order. But here is something that, that is vital. If we're to stand, uh, and I've, I've mentioned people I worry about and age groups and so on, it matters that we understand that I tell them and that they understand it and that you understand it, to be a Christian will cost you. Okay? When I was, when I was young, um, I used to go to a club in the church I grew up in, and it was called 923 Club. And it was called 923 because it was, it was named after Luke chapter 9, verse 23, where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And he also says, deny yourself. Okay? If you're to follow Christ, it involves cross-bearing. It involves self-denial. And uh, we have the example here of John the Baptist. Here is something uh, that might happen to those who follow Christ and are faithful to him. Uh, so look at verses 18 to 20. We read this. Uh, so with many exhortations he preached good news to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Okay, and then we read the account from Mark's Gospel, from Mark chapter 6, where we're given the details of exactly what happened to John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, we've said, he didn't hold back. He preached the truth, and that convicted people. And he had condemned Herod for taking Herodias, his brother's wife. Um, so Herod was guilty of breaking God's command in relation to adultery. Um, his brother's wife was also his niece, so he was also guilty of, of incest. Uh, but that landed him in prison. Now, faithful, faithfulness to the gospel, um, it will not make you popular, and it might get you in trouble. And for some people, it will, it will lead to death. And we need to understand. We need to have a real expectation of what the Christian life is. Um, in Hebron, we have a little reading group. We meet once a month on a Thursday night, and we're reading John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's progress and uh, I think it's been the best thing for our church for a long time uh, here is here is a book that sets out for you what it's like to be a Christian if you haven't read it for a while then there we are let me recommend it to you tonight um, there's much in it much in it about uh, the Christian life and how we think and um, how the devil might uh, seek to discourage us and tell us we're not believers and so on but also this uh, the battles. There's pliable right at the beginning of the book who follows Christian and they enter the slough of despond. 
And as soon as Pliable realizes the Christian life is hard, what does he do? He turns around and goes back to the city of destruction. The Christian life is difficult, and we need to know that from the outset. Uh, some people always seem prepared. Um, here is something that prepares us. Uh, I, I remember an occasion I was on a camp and uh, we, had to move, we had to move a pool table. can't remember why. Uh, but uh, the person I was with produced spanners from the boot of his car. And uh, there are some people you meet like that. They've always got everything they need. You're a spanner man. Uh, you've got all the tools at your disposal all of the time. Okay? Are you like that as a Christian? Um, how can you be prepared? Uh, the Christian life is hard. It might be that, like John, it will cost you much. It will cost you your life. How can you be prepared? Well, you can be prepared by considering these things that matter most. What will keep you? What will keep you is a, a commitment to the Word of God. Uh, that uh, where the Word of God is, the Word of God came to John. Well, the Word of God has come to us. Is it your priority to know it, to read it, to understand it? Is it your priority uh, to seek the Lord's enabling, uh, to know the help of the Holy Spirit? considering these things that matter most. Is it your priority uh, to be a repentant person, to know daily repentance, that you examine yourself and you consider, not, not in a way that, uh, that uh, makes you um, doubt your salvation, as it were, uh, that you're so introspective, you're beating yourself up, but, but simply that you love the Lord, and because you love Him, you want to follow Him, and you know that a true mark of conversion is that uh, you will be repentant. Uh, when we harbour sin, what will happen? Well, sin will grow. And when sin grows, we're led away from the Lord. And if we're not holding on to Christ, uh, then can we have any assurance that we're believers at all? And so here are things that matter most. How can we be ready when the day of trouble comes? By committing ourselves to these things that matter most. Also, the truth of God's word as it's set out um, in Christ, that uh, daily we consider him, uh, that uh, in him we have all that we need. Uh, let us commit ourselves and meditate upon these things that matter most.